Welcome to the Adventure Deficit Podcast. We're here to promote lifelong learning through the context of adventure. Through our one-on-one interviews, we capture in-depth stories across a variety of subjects, emphasizing a new life lesson in every episode. We're on a mission to entertain, educate, and inspire you to embrace new challenges, reflect, push through fears, and get out there in search of your own adventures. We passionately pursue good story, and we'll run, climb, wade, ride, hunt, ski, or paddle our way into new ones, all in search of continual growth. We call it taking our medicine, and we invite you to join us for today's dose. Today we've got a special guest joining us, uh, Ken Pierpont, lead pastor of Bethel Church in Jackson, Michigan, and uh, author and host of the Red Jeep Journals will be joining us, and uh, he's going to share a little bit about his background, as well as an adventure that took place right here in the state of Michigan. Ken, how are you doing today? Hey, doing well, True. Nice to be here. Uh, it's great to uh, to sit down and actually have uh, a one-on-one with you, so I appreciate you making the journey out here um, and sharing your story. It was an adventure. <laughs> <laughs> it's a beautiful morning. So it's it a great drive. It's glad to be here. Great. Um, so give us some of the details that uh, that comprise the Ken Pierpont story. Well, I was loved at home. Mom and dad, real good people, loved at home, bullied at school. And, and those are kind of two major things that influenced me. And as a kid, I thought maybe... If I, if I could be liked more, then I wouldn't be bullied. Mm. And so I noticed the people that were liked were really good athletes. So I decided I needed to be a good athlete. But I wasn't athletic. <laughs> so that was a frustration for a while, and that kind of made things worse. How so? Well, because if you are bullied and then you go out for football and you're not good at it, you're going to get bullied more. It'd been better if I'd have had a lower profile, but I'm not a low-profile person, which probably led to the, you know, bullying. Because when a person, like if in school, I think if kids excel in athletics, they got their thing, the guy that's like, this is what I do to make it, and the guy that's academic, maybe people that don't have any of that stuff going, they look for other people to bully and they don't look for tough people to bully. They look for tender-hearted, easygoing, outgoing. I was just a mark. And it would go from one school to another. I think, oh, I'm going to a new school. They won't bully me here. It was the same thing. So when I would lie in my bed at night as a kid, I would think, what is it about me that's so bad that everybody knows it? And when they get to know me well, they're going to beat on me or kick me in the head. So that was a dark question lying in the bottom of my soul all the time when I was a kid. That didn't really get untangled until um, I was a little bit older. But one of the things I longed for, too, was to, to go outdoors and to actually camp out or float a river or have a real experience outdoors so I would read my scout manual. And the scouting didn't work too well for me. It worked well for a lot of kids. For me, it was just another venue to kind of get picked on a little bit. So it didn't work out. The scout manual had all these things about how to how to build a, your own tent or yeah, and it didn't work. So, so that that was and then reading outdoor life, field and stream. But the, but the experiences I didn't get to have them as a kid so much in the mm. outdoors. So yeah, that was there's a little, there's a lot of frustration in it. Yeah. Yeah. I I don't wish that on anybody to know that a, a little little boy sat up late at night trying to figure out what it was about uh, him that that was vulnerable and then try to build walls around it. That's uh mm-hmm. yeah, it wasn't good. Yeah. Yeah. Um okay, so struggled with uh struggled with kind of getting getting beat on getting picked on in, in your elementary years uh did that continue kind of in through middle school and high school as well no it it, it continued through junior high really badly mm-hmm. um in high school towards the beginning middle of high school i started to kind of find my 
I would try out for sports and I'd either make the team and not play or not make the team. And it just wasn't that athletic. And then a turning point really was my dad's a really good guy, tenderhearted. Um, but, but one night I came home complaining about the sports teams and he said, it was kind of sounded crass and he probably could have framed it in a better way. But he goes, well, Kenny, you know, do something where you use your mouth and you will do better which I always thought it would have been better if he'd have said, you have unusual verbal skill, you know. Mm. He's a really great dad, but he just said that that way, and it kind of hurt. But then I noticed drama, music, um, the, those things, I did excel in those things. And, and, and also, about that time, just the, you know, I'd been taught the Bible a lot, the teaching of Jesus and, you know, the importance of love. I've been taught that a lot, heard that all my life. And somewhere around 16, I transitioned in my heart from trying to get people to like me to trying to find people to love. And that changed my life. So when I started think, I started thinking, well, I'm not going to be popular. I'll just go hang out with the unpopular kids. And I'll, I'll love them. They obviously don't have anybody. All of a sudden, I had a group of people who liked being around me. And it was, it was a powerful thing. And then kind of ministry followed that because I realized, like, there's a lot of people out there that just need somebody to really love them. They're hurt. And um, so that, that was a huge thing. And then to, to just to realize kind of my gifting was the God-given gifts he gave me were more words and verbal. And they really weren't basketball, football, wrestling and that. <laughs> I was never going to excel in that any time in my life. And I asked my dad once, I think I'm going to go to college on a basketball scholarship. And my dad says, well, you have to be really good to do that, which I took to mean my dad is like, you are not very good at that. <laughs> so, yeah, so that was, uh, so then high school was a little bit more forgiving. And then I actually, you know, I actually pastored a church after my junior year in high school. And I was called to a little country church and I pastored for a year before I left for college. I was really a bad pastor, but, but, uh. I was just a kid, you know, but the people were real forgiving and there were a lot of kids in the little church, about 40 people. So that was a neat experience. Wow. And and it's it's fun. It's it's funner to talk about than it probably was to endure it as the parishioners. You know, I was a pastor when I was 17 years old. Wow. Yeah. It makes a good story, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. completely. I think we could spend an hour on that. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, so did you, you ended up transitioning out of that, that pastoral role? Did you have to leave the church in order to go, uh, go through seminary or? Yeah, I always intended to go off to Bible college when I graduated and they knew that. So, so I was a pastor there for exactly a year and then I went off to, to Bible college. Okay. And then I jumped back into ministry pretty quickly after I get a couple of years of Bible college and I got my, finished up my bachelor's degree and eventually my, you know, uh, seminary work. While I was pastoring, usually like either a youth pastor or pastor at a little village church or country church, and kind of rural settings, right? Yeah. Usually, yeah, yeah. Wow, fascinating. I don't think I've ever met anybody who's uh, who's been shoulder tapped to pastor a church prior to uh, to graduating high school. Yeah, that's amazing. Cool. Um, what uh, what transpired during during college? So, um, of course the. The key thing there was I met my wife in in Bible college, and she was born in Kentucky and raised in in Ypsilanti. Uh, and her, her dad was an alcoholic, and he never was able to really conquer that. And so mom went to work in a factory second shift, and Lois, my wife, found this little church in the neighborhood that was filled with other mountain people, and that tugged on her heart. And so... She became a Jesus follower, and she went to Bible college. Her youth pastor said, well, you should go to Bible college. And mom said, well, let's go look for a new car. Maybe you could get a nice used, you know, late model Camaro back in the 70s. That was a real big deal. So she said one day she went out and looked and found this yellow Camaro, and it was a decision between, well, do I buy the yellow Camaro or do I go off to this Bible college? And she went to Bible college, and so uh, I met her there. And that was, uh, that was, and then we've had, uh, we're, we're going to be married 39 years in September and we have eight children, four sons and four daughters. So that was kind of a big deal. That was the most impactful thing about Bible college. Yeah. 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 You met the one. Oh yeah. Yeah. 
and 39 years later it's still going yeah that's really cool she's she's uh, she doesn't give up on things so <laughs> she's wow. t- strong strong woman right so, yeah, yeah cool well, that kind of uh, that kind of brings us into your professional life. What uh, do you want to you want to give us some details there, and then uh, and then we can kind of jump into your adventure story together. Yeah, I, you know, of course, I've been at ministry a long time and done a lot of things, but you know, kind of boiling it down to its essence. And and as an as a, I'm going to be sixty uh, in November, and having been a third generation pastor, two sons that are pastors, two brothers that are pastors, you know, I I don't have a greater ambition than just to be a a simple village parson. I want to love the people that God, that I'm supposed to be taking care of Mm. uh, sincerely. I want to know their names and their kids' names and their stories. I want to pray for them and encourage them, uh, help them. Um, and if I do that well and lead my family well, then that's kind of my ambition, really. And so, uh, yeah, so I guess I, I love the, the model of the village parson, uh, the pastor that really maybe doesn't make a big stir. Some guys are great at that, and I'm glad they're out there. Uh, but I'm not Charles Spurgeon. And when I, when I, I thought maybe when I was young I would be. And then shortly thereafter, I realized I was never going to be Charles Spurgeon, you know, the great pastor, right? But I can be Charles Spurgeon in his commentaries on Psalms. He would always write about hints to the village preacher. I'm like, that's me. I'm not Spurgeon. I'm one of those village preacher guys. I can take a small group of people and I can pray for them every day. Hmm. And I can really love them. And when I see their kids, I can know their names. And know their stories, you know. That's that's so. That's the way I like to think about ministry. And I, I, I love the words. How words and stories and scriptures can powerfully help and encourage people. So that's a huge thing to me. Yeah. 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 And even as I sit across the table from you, um, I would say that that's one of the the attributes that that emanates from from you very clearly is that you've got a big big heart. And uh, it's this authentic sense of caring deeply for those who are in your circle that I would say would uh, would allow you to carry maximum maximum affect. Yeah, that's that's a really cool gift that you have. Yeah. Well, the village parishioner or the village parson. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think you ought to name yourself that. Yeah. The village parson. Cool. Um, how did you get linked up? into uh, a love for the outdoors. Has that always been in you? I kind of raised mostly in suburbs, and my grandfather had a farm in south-central Ohio, and, and maybe maybe there, when you'd go to the farm and you, you, you'd uh, be there, there, there was a you, beauty of nature as a kid, I realized, could move me to tears just to be in a beautiful place or, or to smell first cut hay or to lay in my bed at night on the farm and smell the lilac blowing through the, the fragrance blowing through the windows or, or to be with my grandfather and he would, you know, point out a four leaf clover and, or, or a bird song or what you could eat or what you couldn't eat. And, and then the, the scout manual, the outdoor life, you know, I always wanted to get out and my parents were really good. Once they took us on a vacation and we tented and camped and that was just, down through the Smokies. I remember having my own little pup tent <laughs> and it didn't have a floor in it and setting that up one night so I could camp out. I'm really actually camping out. And I set it all up real neat and blew up this little cheap air mattress and put it in there and put a false floor in it. And then a huge downpour came and I was, I thought, this is great. I'm in my tent and it's raining. It was awesome. It was a real event. And then I realized that the water was just coming in and the whole bottom filled with, with water. A lot of frustration that way. And then, so when my boys got older, you know, they would say, I remember one day, my two oldest boys, Kyle and Chuck, were little boys, and I'd read this neat out, like backpacker magazine about going on a big, I'm like, you got to get this gear. It's all real expensive, and I don't have any money. I, I, I got a little gas in the car. I got like $1.38, literally. I'm looking at the silhouette of this guy on this escarpment, looking out over this gray, you know, maybe on the Appalachian Trail. And I'm like, I'm a loser. I can't do anything like that. But then I thought, well, wait, a minute, wait a minute. I got a quarter of a tank of gas. I got a dollar thirty-eight, 
and the Mohican National Forest is about a half hour up the road. I said to the boys, hey, you want to go on an adventure? They're like, yeah. I'm like, well, let's pack up something to eat. We didn't have anything much, so we made peanut butter sandwiches, carrots, and celery. Threw it in this little backpack, and off we go. And we hiked around through the forest and um, for the day, and we saw some birds, and and we, we sat and we ate our little lunch on a on a on a bridge with this little creek running through, and the the guys declared it a great day, and then we stopped at a gas station and we bought little Debbie cakes for a dollar, and the boys still talk about that. Hmm. And I had a quarter of a tank of gas with dollar thirty eight. Right, hmm. a little bit later on, when the boys were a little bit older, the younger boys, Dan and Wes. Little Wes comes into my office one day and he goes, Dad, look at this. And he shows me this backpack. And it's like more than I make in a week, right? And I'm like, well, you know, I'm embellishing a bit. And, then, and I'm like, yeah. And he goes, can I get this? And I was a little frustrated thinking, like, yeah, no. You know, you know. And he went, he kind of disappointed and he left the room. And I thought, you know, we're not going to just read about stuff. I'm going to do something. So I go back in. I go, we're going to go on a hike this afternoon. He goes, what? I go, we are going to go on a hike. He goes, where are we going? I go, I'm like Brandstrom Park, which is a little tiny city park in our town up in Fremont. We're going on it. He goes, really? I go, I go. you you have a backpack. Remember the one? And, and we had little, it didn't have straps. It come on. So we put twine. We created this backpack, found a carabiner, Nalgene bottle. Here's Wes now. He's a little tiny kid. He's got this backpack with a carabiner and a huge Nalgene bottle. It's almost reaching the ground. And the older brothers kind of, they see what I'm doing. They're like, let's do this thing. So we go thundering off into the wild in Brandstrom Park for a hike, you know. And little Wes has got this backpack, this Nalgene bottle. And we're laughing, thinking, how long is he going to be able to actually, you know, carry that? Sure enough, like the first big hill, he gets to the top, and he's just spent. He's, he's winded, and he goes, could you help me carry this, Dad? I'm like, yeah. So I reach over, and I take it, and it's like, what in the world? It was, like, really heavy. I said, Wes, what do you have in this backpack? He goes, uh, a calculator. He says real quiet, a calculator. I go, what? He goes, what is in here? A calculator. I'm like, well, that wouldn't be that heavy. I, I open it up and I look inside. Uh, our aunt sent us a, an adding machine. She thought maybe we'd need it for our homeschooling. And it's like big with a three-prong plug, huge thing, probably 10, 15 pounds. I go, why did you do this? He goes, I just wanted to carry something. So my thing was like, just go do something, you know. Anyway, so a little bit later on, so now we're, uh, Kyle, our oldest, is going to graduate from high school. And I felt like, you know, we had him the day before yesterday, and he graduated the next two days later. And he's, you know, I love this kid, right? And he's going away, and it's just killing me, our firstborn. And we got to do something. We got to get out and go somewhere and do something that he's going to remember, you know. And I had this friend named Mike Otis, grew up in East Grand Rapids, and I heard him talking about Manitou, North Manitou Island. Sounded awesome. And I started looking up on the map. I thought, look at that. It's like off the Leland Up, and it's in Lake Michigan. It's an island. You got to take a ferry out there. He was talking about that. I called him on the phone. I said, would you guide us? Like, could we go on a trip? Chuck, Kyle and Chuck. And you and I, and could it be like a spiritual adventure thing? And he's, he's like, yeah. So we go, and the night we drive up, we, we he was really organized. He's an awesome guy. But one thing we didn't plan on was where are we going to stay at night before the ferry leaves in the morning? And we didn't have that figured out. So now we're f- trying to figure that out. And eventually, we spent about a half an hour. Campgrounds are all full. It's July 4th weekend, coming up to July 4th weekend. We go to the Leelanau um, sheriff's deputy there. <laughs> Just, I don't know why we did that. That was lame. We go in. Is there any place to stay? He goes like, no. And then he really just got in. He says, you know what? You're not supposed to do this, but you can just unroll your sleeping bags right there on the courthouse lawn, but you, know, you need to be out of here in the morning. So we unroll our sleeping bags, and we literally sleep on the courthouse lawn. And I'll never forget, in the morning, this, this guy's name was Jason Hewlett. He was the... He was the uh, sheriff's deputy or something. In the morning, he comes walking out with four little plastic cups of coffee. And he goes, hey, guys, you know, you probably are going to want to get going here. But I wanted to give you some coffee. And I still have that plastic cup. I will always have that plastic cup. So the collection of cool cups with stories, but that plastic cup. A little later on, we found out from the people at the ferry, we could have, you know, there's a parking lot 
for the ferry. We could have just tented there. So we go over, we have a great experience on North Manitou Island. And that's a story for another day, but it was a great experience. And so I wanted to reproduce that experience with all four of my sons and my oldest grandson, Kyle, we call him K2. So the guys were talking about going back. I don't think I was originally a part of that. They were talking about going back. I heard about it. I invited myself. Okay, hold on. Yeah. So after Kyle, yeah. uh, your oldest, yeah. has his farewell trip on North Manitou, yeah. that trip goes as planned. There's a whole lot of ingredients that weren't yeah. necessarily accounted for. Right. And I love the rich story of you camping out on the courthouse lawn. Yeah, it was an awesome, it's a memory. Beautiful, yeah. beautiful uh, piece of humanity intertwined yeah. in that. Yeah. Um, but that trip, separate from the, the story that you're about to tell, right. is linked by the sense that uh, it was so good that you wanted to replicate it years, years following, correct? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Okay. It was something that we always talked about. The younger boys heard about it, but they hadn't gone. And the older boys wanted to do it again. It was a really beautiful trip. So we talked about this. It was a real adventure. It wasn't something you read about. It wasn't, it was, we did this. And Mike, uh, Mike Otis helped us. He was a great guy. Uh, and we called him after, thereafter, always referred to as Manitou Mike. Um, and little did we realize how important it was to have an experienced guide with us. After we didn't have him, we thought we could do it. But there were some simple things he did that we didn't notice. And that would cost us. And it would, uh, yeah, well, that would be something we would talk about for a long time for a different reason. So we, so the boys, they, you know, we got a map of North Manitou Island and we laminated it and we put it on the boys' wall. The two younger boys that hadn't been there had that on their wall for 10 years. A map of North Manitou Island on their wall for 10 years, right? We go back. And um, so now we're heading up. We're calling it our, our, our manly man adventure. We meet in Grand Rapids and we decide we're going to start with um, a barbecue, some beef brisket. So we all, that seemed manly, right? So we all go to, to, uh, get our barbecue and the next morning we start up uh one, which is one of the one of the prettiest highways in michigan 131 from grand rapids up toward cadillac and it just poured rain um driving the red jeep chuck's with me we're having a great time being with chuck is a party second born son he's just full of life and fun um he's in my car other guys in the other car we go up what are their names yeah so my oldest son is kyle yep i know kyle okay too sure and then uh, next son is Chuck, Charles Kenneth, call him Chuck, and then Daniel, and then Wesley is the youngest son. And then Kyle's son, my grandson, our oldest grandson, Kyle Kenneth, he's with us too. And uh, so he's got his dad's hat on. He's wearing it all week because this is a manly man adventure. So he's wearing this. Ma- he's wearing a, a snapback that's pulled really tight on his head, and he never takes it off. He has a little, somebody gave him a, a little knife, uh, kind of an all-purpose knife. This never leaves his hand the entire week that we're right, right together. We drive up 131, and we're talking about getting up into Fishtown, Leland, and where we're going to eat. And it's just a perfect, it really was a perfect uh, day. Everybody, we packed kind of heavy because we were going to hike across the island, and we're going to do a lot of hiking, and we wanted to have a bunch of stuff we wanted, you know, plenty of food, coffee, a chair to sit in. <laughs> So, so we got heavy packs, um, and 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 uh, we we find a little store that has some pretty good eats, and we get we get some good food. We figure, well, we need to eat well, and then you know hike over and uh, you know take the ferry over, and we eat well, and then we hit the ferry, and that's pretty cool. And so there's a scout troop on the ferry. We're having a good talk with them, and um, the, the whole adventure is getting videotaped by my son Chuck, which was going to come into play later. And we didn't realize at the time, we just kind of horsed around the camera all the time. We weren't really paying attention. And it's about an hour out. So we go out, get off uh, the ferry. And I'm thinking it's like snowmobiling. If you get behind, you don't want to be catching up all the time. And I'm the old guy. I'm overweight. So I'm like, I got to get out ahead so that I'm not dragging back. I'm going to 
gonna. And I remember the time I went before, um, I'd I'd hike the, the the boring parts fast so that when you get to the really really pretty parts, you can slow down. So I, so this I hike out kind of quick, and I'm ahead. And I don't know where I'm going. I've been here before. <laughs> and uh, the fearless leader. Yeah. So I'm 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 hiking <clears throat> out, and I come to a little, you know, little path. Part of the path goes north. Part of the path go, goes west. I go north. Um, Kyle had the map, and he was behind me. And he just saw the way I went. Everybody just followed me, which which wouldn't have been a problem. It added about three and a half miles of unimproved early spring trail, and it was over rocks and it was up and down and it just it made the hike just it almost seemed like they tilted the island since the last time I'd been there and everything was uphill. But I'm older and I'm I've, I got a little more weight on me and, and and so we're we're hiking and I'm like oh this is a little more hike than I expected and uh, I go walking every day. But so now I'm starting to feel a little bit of uh, pain in the top of my feet and I have. I have a little problem with a flare of gout every once in a while, which is horrifyingly painful. And I'm wearing um, some really good gear, uh, sandals, really good sandals, but probably not enough support in my feet and ankles for the pack and my little extra weight, you know. And we're horsing around. At first, it's funny, you know. We're like, oh, well, we, we took a wrong turn. It's not a big deal. We'll just keep going west toward the sunset. And and the slippery trail. At one point, there was a there was a um, almost like a cliff, not really a cliff, but a but it fell away. The air, the the ground fell away, and the other guys, so so Chuck and Wes and Kyle and little Kyle were on up ahead, and and I was back with Dan, and I was thinking how fun it would be to throw a log down that hill and pretend I had fallen down that hill. And, Just goofing. And, and when I thought that, the minute I thought it and never said it, Dan had the same thought, and he tosses this log down the hill. And then I make these guttural sounds like I'm rolling down the hill. And I don't know if that would work, but what was hilarious was Chuck was hiking with this big, broad-brimmed hat. And I saw that hat stop, turn around. They dropped their packs. Wes and Chuck had heard that, and they dropped their packs right where they were and ran back to help me. And when they saw that I wasn't in any trouble, I thought they were going to throw me down the hill, but they didn't. But within about a half hour or so, I'm in pain. And then 20 or 30 minutes later, I'm in such pain in my feet that I feel like I have got to get off my feet, but we're not there yet. And by the time we finally reached the other side of the island, the sun was starting to set. And I knew I was in serious trouble because I couldn't walk anymore. Mm. And... And when I didn't walk, I was in real pain. And so I, I had to tell the guys, but I'm like, guys, I, I, I don't know what we're going to do, but I, I can't walk. And we're now like miles on the other side of this island. And we got a couple of days later, we got to get back out to hit the ferry because I'm going to speak at a camp. And so the guys are sympathetic. But I feel frustrated because I feel like, oh, I'm, I crashed their party. And You're feeling I'm, like the the weak link. I absolutely was. Yeah. No question about it. They're young. They're strong. This was nothing. It wasn't really a serious hike. Our plan was get on the west side of the island. There's these beautiful views. You can't see anything but Lake Michigan. And the and the sand, the, the beach is beautiful over there. And you can wade out into the water, and it's all yours for like two days. And you're probably not going to see anybody. And that's all we thought about. They were, we're going to have our food. I had prepared these great stories that I was going to tell over the, you know, the little jet boil at night. And uh, we talked about what we we're going to eat. And basically, the plan was just to burn a couple of days, just being together and talking and loving each other and not having any interruptions, no cell phones, nothing. Mm. Instead, I'm in pain, trying not to ruin the party. But I say to the guys... I don't know what we're going to do. We didn't have cell phone coverage. We couldn't call in <laughs> any help. So in the morning, we had had a breakfast, and then the guys were like, well, basically it became, how are we going to get Dad off this island? And it, at the time, we, we just, it, 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 it was foggy. It was, it was kind of colder. Um, 
and the, the guys started thinking, and everybody kind of had their piece. So my firstborn son, Kyle's kind of organized and dutiful, and and he says, well, his thing was like, we got to figure out a way to get Dad off the island. Maybe we'll. <laughs> so he came up with a plan, and then like secondborn son Chuck is more of a, like he's the party. He's funny. <laughs> he's he's tenderhearted. He's just going to take pictures of the whole thing. That's that's what he does. Um, and he's the guy on the video camera anyway. So. Oh, yeah. Okay. He got the video camera. And this becomes a, a treasure to us at, at some point. But anyway. Then, so describe to us real quick, yeah. what what are the challenges in getting dad off the island? I mean, what are what are some of the, the natural uh, obstacles that you guys face? Okay, well, like, like I weigh at least 250, right? So you got a 250-pound man yeah. that can't walk. Oh, yeah. And you're miles from where the ferry is going to be. Yeah. How is this guy? How are we going to get this? You know, think about it. you've got something that's 250 pounds, and you got your packs, mm. and it needs to be seven miles away <laughs> in in a couple of days. Totally. Oh, so weight, what are we distance. Yeah, I cannot walk. Are there? Uh, I'm I mean, what are some yeah. of the other obstacles that uh, that you guys have to have to kind of uh, take I, into consideration? Here? I, I suppose the main thing is just it's just simple. It's like we our plan was to have a great time and then get up that last morning and just hike across the island, jump on the ferry and go. And now it's like, we can't do any of that. It's just, how do we get dad over there? So when the ferry comes, we can, you know, roll his lifeless body onto the ferry and drag him home. I think the guys probably thought about just leaving me over there, but they never said that. didn't (laughs) act that way. And, and I just, I was so sad because of discipline. I think, it, was, it didn't affect little Kyle at all. It's like he didn't even know anything was going on. He's playing, having a great time. All the other guys are like, okay, they just turn into, they, they all kind of go into survival mode. So Kyle is like, well, we got to organize something. Chuck is like, we should probably have pictures of this. Um, Dan is like, Dan's a big boy. He's tall, strong, and and dutiful kid. He's like, well. I'm the mule. Bend the back. Yeah, exactly. Bend the back. We'll get the man off. That's what we're going to do. And Wes, he's strong, athletic too, but he's like, are you okay, Dad? Real mm. tenderhearted. Are you, are you all right? We're going to be okay, man. You know. So it's like the dynamic of that was really interesting. Powerful. It was, it was also pretty funny. So they decide they're going to build a raft. <laughs> <laughs> they really okay. did. Right. They start gathering driftwood up in the hills. And you know, and they got some paracord and they're strapping this, this ugly raft together. And, they, and we have a couple sleeping pads. So the sleeping pads go on the top of the raft. Nice. And they go, well, what we're going to do is we'll drag you around the all around the north. It's like, I think it's about eight or nine miles all around the north and the fat end of the island up by the potholes and so forth. They just said, well, we'll just put you in the water and just drag you. That'll work. Um, so they started putting that together. And when they got it put together, I go out and I lay down, belly down on this raft. And it kind of sinks in the water a little bit. And my, my, my ankle, I think it was the right foot the right ankle kind of was in the cold water a little bit and they start pulling me and it actually worked mostly the bigger the older guys took the packs and the younger guys took maybe one pack it was dan and wes took one pack and they're out pulling me at some point their pack dips in the water a little bit and their gear is going to get wet so they they hand off their pack for about two and a half miles maybe three miles they pull me up along, and it's a—it's kind of a joke, you know. There, I'm hurting, but the, you know, we're kind of laughing about it. I look like they're dragging a beached whale, <laughs> and and I'm like, well, you know. And they're like, well, we'll just we're we're gonna we're gonna laugh about this someday, I think. But it wasn't really fun, and and so then finally they got up, a, a, a probably you know a few miles north, and the and the ground changes in the water from from a real smooth sandy bottom two slippery bowling ball rocks and you can't walk in it and we couldn't go on anymore and now there was a fog coming in thicker and it was was colder a couple other things that happened there'd been some washes where there was well, it's like quicksand and it looks like regular hard sand but when our son chuck was walking along there he went into his to his crotch and got like cuts it was kind of scary, and they're like, "There's spots of quicksand right there." Wow. Or, uh, yeah. So now he's got a little bit of an injury he's nursing, 
Um, and now I'm out of the water and we're trying to figure out. So they build a sled to put all the packs on and we're going to have somebody drag the packs, right? So they got that kind of lashed together, put the packs on it. And as soon as it started to pull, it just kind of fell apart. That wasn't going to work. So now a couple of guys are going to hold the packs and the other guys are going to let me rest my arms on their shoulders so that I can kind of hop my way out of there. Okay. That didn't work very well either. But about that time, because I think my, my foot had been in the water, in the cold water a lot, the inflammation decreased a little bit. I, I took a little bit of ibuprofen. I probably should have taken more. I took 600 milligrams. I, now I think if I rose, if I had upped the dosage a little bit, I could have, the inflammation might have come down. point it was, I start to be able to hobble along a little bit if, I, if I'm on my bare feet and if the, the hard-packed sand, there's sections where there's nice hard-packed sand, and there's sections that have really sharp rocks. So the the hard-packed sand sections were easy to kind of navigate. Kind of cradle your foot. Yeah. Right? So, so that started working, and now we've got a long hike, basically a long hobbling-like hike. Right. About that time, the fog lifted, and now it's getting on toward uh, late afternoon, toward evening, and the weather, uh, the clouds turned just beautiful. Mm. And this lake was beautiful. There was a pink, blue, pretty, and there was a little breeze. And it was it was a pretty night. It started, I started to realize, well, the pain has subsided a little bit. It was, it was I thought, well, it's, it's a pain to be here, but it's a beautiful place. And a little later on, I realized that pretty clouds usually bring ugly weather, right? So... Yes, indeed. All of a sudden now, I'm thinking, you know what? It's going to rain hard on us. And, I'm and how hobbling. far had you gone at this point since uh, since launching the raft at the tip of the island? So probably we're, we're getting toward the north tip of the island. We've got to still come down the east side of the island to mm-hmm. where the ferry is about halfway down the island. So it's it at this point, I'm starting to feel hopeful. We'll probably get there before the ferry gets there, which I really needed to do <laughs> and wanted to do. We were we were fantasizing about toilets, uh, hot food, showers. Um, <laughs> and we're talking about that. Why did we do this? You know, and and uh, so now the guys are going, you know, it's going to rain. So they said, what we're going to do is we're going to go on up ahead. We're going to make a camp. And then you could just keep making progress. And now I'm alone, and the guys have run on up ahead. And it really is a a solitary, beautiful... I had time to think about how much I love those boys, Mm. how much they love me, and what they would do for me, you know. And and also thinking, man, I I ruined their trip. Um, But they were just strong and... And they're good, good guys. On up ahead they go, and now it's it's coming evening, and now you can hear thunder, and you can feel there's a there's a serious storm coming in, and I'm walking as fast as I can. Finally, up ahead I see they've they've left my chair, so I had taken this big <laughs> yellow umbrella chair. And they had they'd been kind of giving it to me about that. You had to bring a chair, didn't you? And I'm like, well, and and so now they, they leave the chair sitting there for me, uh, and hang a b- water bottle on the chair. And I get up to the chair and I drink all I want of the water, and then I don't want to really carry the water, so I foolishly dump it out. Which of course you don't have fresh water on the island; you got to purify the water. So now I, I didn't realize I just dumped out the last of our water. Picked up the chair and hobbled on in and. And, and I remember looking ahead as it got dusk, and you could hear the thunder coming in. And I looked ahead down the lake as we started rounding so you could kind of see down the island on the east side of the island. And all of a sudden, I saw a light. There was a little light kind of bobbing. I thought, what is that? Mm. And, I, and then I finally realized Daniel has got a headlight headlamp on, and he's running up, up the beach to be with me. And that was cool. Yeah, he was your lighthouse. Yeah, he, and you know, just to have somebody you know caring about. They, and they, they go, yeah, he's like, we're gonna make it. We're gonna do good. We got a place. We, we, you're not supposed to camp inside of the water, right? And we felt like, well, it's an emergency, and we couldn't hike up the bluff, and we just so we pitched an illegal camp on on some down saplings. It was the world's worst campsite in terms of that 
where it was was incredibly beautiful. You're on a little finger of land out in the, the Manitou Passage. So it's some of the prettiest place in Michigan, right? So we've got this beautiful camp, but we can't really enjoy it because you can hear the the two tents are set up. And we dive into the tents just as the rain just unleashes and just pours on these tents. And we're in there going, good night. I'm thinking to myself, we're going to die of hypothermia. That's going to be bad, you know. And you know, it was not going to happen. But And I remember Kyle going, Dad, he's in the other tent. And he's like, Dad, do you have any water left? Oh, no. And I'm like, no, I'm good. I don't need any. He goes, well, no, but but Kyle, little Kyle, was saying, can I have a drink of water, Daddy? And I go, man, I'm sorry I got the I got the bottle, but I don't need water in it. But it's just pouring rain. I'm like, you don't want to do that. Just tell him, you know, you, know, you just can't. Can. But he's like not going to let him go to sleep without some water. So he comes over, he gets that bottle, and he goes down, he's purifying that water in the rain. And then you hear him come back and unzip the tent and get in the tent. And then you hear him going, Kyle? Kyle, I got you some water, buddy. Kyle, wake up. Oh, and, man. And uh, that's the last thing I remember hearing before we all went to sleep. Before fell asleep. So, yeah, so this night we said, well, let's pray. You know, let's pray. We, we wanted to to have a sense of, uh, you know, fellowship with God. And so, like, let's pray. And Wesley, our youngest, prays. And he says, Lord, thank you for this day. I am so glad it's over. <laughs> that was the last the last word before we all went to sleep. And so I get in my sleeping bag and I look over at Dan and Wes and they're crawling into the same sleeping bag. And I'm like, what are you doing? And Dan goes, well, you know, when I was hauling you, my sleeping bag got wet. And without saying anything, they just they just got, which we have mercifully chided them for sleeping in a same sleeping bag for years now. And they got in the sleeping bag and and the rain's just pouring and we go to sleep with the rain on the on the and then in the middle of the night, the rain fly hadn't been secured well. The rain passed by and the big wind came behind it and blew the rain fly off. And it was a little chilly in the tent. And so I'm like, hey Dan, do you mind putting the <laughs> rain fly back on he goes all right so he gets out of the tent and when he does i sit up and i look around and i'm i I realize i'm sitting on this little finger of land that's out in this water and the the stars are out and it's just beautiful Kind of genial breeze is blowing it's not really super cold but it's comfortable and I'm thinking, huh, this has got to be one of the most beautiful things I have ever seen. Whoa. So and after the clouds, everything broke to a starry night. It was very beautiful. Oh, cool. Yeah, it's just three in the morning and I'm looking around. I guess I'm feeling a little better. My foot's a little bit, you know, I can tell we're going to be okay. We're going to make this thing, you know. We'll get down there before the ferry gets back. And we just had a you know, little time in the morning. We need to get, if I could get an hour and a half and... So fell back asleep, and then when I got up, the guy says, well, Dad, get you get hiking, and we'll break camp. And uh, I go, all right. So I start down the lake, and and this real breezy and sunny and just as beautiful as any day you've ever seen. And a, a little bit of a feeling like we're going to be okay. We're, we're, you know, for the first time, it's like we're, we're going to be okay. We'll get off on, on the right time, and I'll make my camp. So I'm, I'm walking down the lake, and the sun's up. And it's warmer. But there's a breeze, a breezy day. So there's just a beauty to it. You just, <laughs> literally the breeze was at my back. And I'm walking and I'm feeling a little better. Like we're gonna, I'm going to make this. I'm going to make my camp I'm supposed to speak at. You know. So I'm walking down and I'm ahead of everybody. And I actually get down to the dock and we're, we're an hour and a half or so before the ferry's supposed to get there, so I made it. And then I hear the guys, you know, coming behind me, and they, right, sh- right after I got there, they show up, and then there's a whole different spirit. The guys were like, why didn't we just get off the ferry and make a camp right here? This is beautiful. The, the water was clear. The guys had a GoPro, and they were horsing around with that. They, you know, Kyle brewed some coffee. And we just sat around, and it, it's like smiles came back on everybody's face. And they were joking around and diving in the water and playing with a GoPro and going under the water. And 
and the and uh, Kyle said, "Well, let's get some pictures. I had a picture here with you when we came before. I want you to take a picture of Kyle and me." And you know, I still cherish that picture and kind um, of a generational re very remake. Much, very much so. The time we'd gone before, you know, I I have a big capacity for love. You know, so I, maybe everybody does, but I, you know, I uh, the time we'd gone before, I was sitting on a dune on our last day. And I'd hiked up and I got on this dune. I had a piece of driftwood. I set it down and I'm just sitting there. And I was feeling, you know, a little melancholy, like my boy is going away and he's never going to come back, you know. And, and I, I really, really, really loved that, that boy. And, and um, I'm sitting there and uh, all of a sudden I see, like I look down the lake and I see him coming, walking up the, the lake and uh, there on our first trip. And, and uh, he came up and sat beside me on that uh, piece of driftwood, and he didn't say anything for a long time. We just sat there together, and then he goes, I really, really love you, Dad. Oh, man. I will cherish that till the day I die, you know? Same love in every one of those boys. Yeah. You know, we, we, they love their dad and their mom. I love them. That and and that's what it's, it's so it seemed in on the that everybody contributed their way to get us to that ferry on time, you know, mm-hmm. and and um, and we, we kidded with Chuck because he had kind of stood off and filmed everything, and we all kind of agreed let's just not ever do this again, and then when we got out there and we had some coffee and we're horsing around. They said, this was horrible. We probably should do it one more time just so that this isn't our last memory. We're still probably going to go back and do that someday. But um, on the ferry, on the way back, the scouts were on the ferry again. And Chuck, the court jester, right? The, he's saying, Dad... He takes the girls to Mackinac Island, and he takes the boys to North Manitou Island. I'm going on the girls' trip next time. <laughs> <laughs> so we do. We, we get. We're on the ferry now, and we know we've made it. And I'm I'm imagining this camp where I'm going to speak, and the speakers' quarters, and the toilet, and the hot shower, and the and the good food. And my little jeep is waiting for me, and I'm going to drive over there. I'm going to make it. Um. And then the guys are going to get something to eat. They're going to head back uh, to Grand Rapids. And then in this case, my youngest son, Wesley, is going to leave for college. And so it's like the first time I went to North Manitou Island, my oldest son, Kyle, was going to leave for college. The next time I came back to North Manitou Island, our youngest son, Wesley, was going to leave for college. He has an old Ford pickup truck, and I go over to camp, and I get there, and I'm just relieved and and um, feeling, you know, just a very, very tenderhearted about the whole experience and missing him and thinking about Wes leaving. And something happened with Wes's truck. He had to go back home, have a repair done. So the next day, he leaves for college, and I'm not there. And I'm looking at Instagram, and I see he takes a picture of over the hood of his truck, and he's like, off to college. And he loves his mother. And she loves him. And she's tough. She doesn't cry. She makes you cry. Mm. She's tough, right? So, But I thought, that's got to be killing her right now. So I call her and I go, you okay? And she just says, bursts into tears and just weeps. She goes, I'm in my room and the door's closed. I can't let the other kids hear me cry. But Wes just left for college. Oh, man. And I'm going to miss him. Yeah. So even though it was a horrible experience, it's an unbelievably beautiful memory. And I'll cherish it until I die. So many gems. So many little instances of, uh, of life's most pure moments. I mean, I guess we got a little bit of flavor from that first North Manitou trip, but the second one is where we spent most of our time. Sure. Um, so four boys off to, to engage in the world's biggest adventure, 
for some of them, the two younger, they spent 10 years waiting for this, watching, watching it develop from the impetus of, of the map on the wall in the bedroom, right? Mm-hmm. So monumental buildup, catastrophic <laughs> meltdown. <laughs> meltdown. Yeah. Um, and in the end, I love how you brought it all together. You're walking, you know, you're, you're back on your feet. You walk up to the dock, you turn around, and you see the crew mm-hmm. coming in tow. Mm-hmm. Um, it's already clear to me how much those boys mean to you, and I'm sure... Uh, our listeners will will pick up on that as well, but just the sh- the raw emotion of of uh, I just get I get the sense that you couldn't have been prouder. Hmm. It is that way that the the boys have become men, and they're all their own guys. You know, they really are. Just each one is unique, and each one is really a a, a, a neat a guy you'd love to be with their men. They, they follow my God. I, I wanted them to follow my God. They do that in their own way. I kind of probably raised them in a, in a almost sectarian way. And right? we had to, the, we had to get that kind of kicked out of us. You know, if you're going to follow Jesus, I'm happy. If you have a man bun, that's all right. <laughs> you know what I mean? If you have a tattoo, okay. That wasn't what I was thinking, but yeah, okay. They're men, and I'm and I'm really proud of them, and I love them. Mm-hmm. Um, the girls too, but I'm thinking about the fellas now. So what what was the major takeaway? If you had to, uh, if you tried to summarize that. Um... So I think, you know, when you there there, you, you'll get one life. It's short. So you should live it. And there are people in your life, so you should love them. And it's going to end someday, so you should be ready for that. And a good place to figure that stuff out is out under the open sky, even if it's raining. Well, thanks for sharing your story, Ken. That's uh, That one carries impact a lot of emotion, um, and it's going to pull at the heartstrings of anybody, especially parents. I think that's a, a special bond that you got with your boys. I have the pleasure of knowing one of them uh, pretty well. Um, I've befriended your your oldest, Kyle, and uh, just a special dude. Good, uh, a good meaning, well uh, well grounded individual who's uh, who's been just a a friend that uh, I cherish. So. He thinks a lot of you, Drew. Uh, it's, yeah. it's been fun. So, well, thanks, Ken, for sharing your story. You got some time to uh, to do some fun, uh, fun rapid fire type questions. Sure, let's try that. <laughs> All right. You have four boys and four girls, most of whom are are probably part of what uh, we would consider to be the millennial generation. Um, tell me what you've noticed uh, as far as the uh, some of the attributes that could characterize millennials. And perhaps where our generation, uh, the generation before them, might go wrong in trying to, uh, in trying to describe them as well. Yeah, I don't know. I, I read a lot about what millennials are supposed to be like, and most of it is really pejorative. Uh, it's it's unkind. Um, it characterizes all of a generation, like as selfish or as obsessed with their phones or something. And I just don't, I don't think that's probably a good way to treat human beings that made in the image of God that have real beating hearts and real experiences, you know, that, that's just, that, that strikes me as, as uh, damaging. So you, you read things written probably by older people about what they think about millennials <laughs> and, and it's not nice and then you expect them to come to your church or hang out with you. But they're not probably convinced that you actually even like them. You don't talk about people you like like that. Or maybe maybe older people are kind of just concerned and frustrated about things that are happening in the world that are bad. But they're, but, but you have to be, I think so. I, I, 
other day I was thinking about this and I thought, well, if you want to connect with millennials, I'm a pastor, right? So I, I like to think we have a, a, a vital church filled with young people. If you want millennials to come to your church, maybe the good place to start would be stop saying bad things about them on the internet all the time. <laughs> mm. I, I, I see it in a simpler way. All the demographics may be true, and the people that study that, they, they, that may be true. But love, if you genuinely love people, and you listen to them, and you like them, even if they kind of freak you out, like, well, you're not really going to say that, are you? Are you not going to do that, are you? And, but just listen. I'm at a camp in Kentucky last summer, and, and uh, a kid was, was talking with me after one of my talks, and he was just weeping, literally. He was weeping so hard that his nose was running, his eyes, just tears were just coming down, uh, dropping on the floor. I can still see his tears splattering on the floor. He knows he's crying, and he goes, you talk about a father. He goes, I have a dad, but I've never met him. Mm. My mom was so angry, she threw away his pictures. So when I walk down the street, I look at people that would be my dad's age, and I think, I wonder if that's my dad. So a kid in, uh, on the porch after a Friday night camp in the Finger Lakes up in New York, it's a cute little kid with glasses on, junior high kid. And I'm like, how'd you like camp? He's like, I loved it. What'd you like the most? And he goes, the chapel. And I go, oh, come on, you know, don't tell me that. You know, I'm the chapel speaker. He goes, no, no, really. I go, why? Because I just felt really good in there. I, I love my mom, but she's um, in jail because of drugs. And my grandparents are raising me, but I don't think they really want me to be there. I just felt really good in chapel. So I, t- I guess to me, it's like love people, just, right, love them. Yeah. introduce them to Jesus, the the real Jesus of the Bible, seemed like a good idea to me, right? Um, and, the, and the other stuff about the demographics, I, I, I'm not sure I can untangle all of that. I just think maybe one person at a time that has somebody that listens to them, cares about them, knows their name. I, I don't know if you can improve on that. I don't think that's ever going to get old. Well, just going back, the reason I ask, Ken, is is you painted a picture of your four boys working in harmony, leaning on their own strengths and skill sets to get, you know, to get a big, big boy out of there. Right. <laughs> yes, right. You said, you know, your oldest had had the details ironed out. Yeah. Your uh, your second in line was was kind of the color guy. Right? He sure was. He I was guess. the guy who yeah. was going to add some flavor yeah. and spice. Always. The third one was your mule, right? Yeah, he yeah. had the he had the strong back, and the fourth one was uh, was the empathetic one, checking yeah. in on dad to make sure his, his emotions are in check and that his attitude's right. Yeah, that doesn't come without you know some some really good natured traits, and those all those boys were millennials. Yeah, you know, I when I was a young dad, I read this book by a guy named Charles or. Uh, Charles Smalley, is that right? Yeah, Charles Smalley. He's um, he's dead now, but he wrote a book called The Cheater, Cheater Charles Child's Heart. Um, and he said a person's spirit is like a flower, and and if you if you crush it, you can't expect it to blossom right away. It's going to need sun, soil, you know, and rain and all that. And he says, don't don't damage your kid's spirit. Always watch over their spirit. And, and I took I took that to heart with all the kids and my wife and I both of us were like we we made a lot of mistakes but we we tried to to nurture their spirit all the time. Are we good? Did I hurt you? Did I make you a promise I didn't keep? Um, is everything okay? Uh, and and um, I think that was huge. The, the the proverbs in the Bible say, "My son, give me." The proverbs are written to young men, right? My son, give me your heart. Let your eyes observe my ways. And I'm a talker, so it's like my proverb is like, listen to me talk. And that does say, listen, my son, over and over. But I, but I realized that I think the powerful thing is like, give me your heart. In other words, let's make sure our hearts are okay. And then watch what I do. Like, I'm going to follow God. I hope you do too. I'm going to love people. I hope you do too. That's what we're going to do, you know, and then and then and that corresponds with what I say. But the power, you know, is is the is the emotional intimacy, this relational intimacy, 
gen- so I would say like with a millennial or with a, with an old person, how do you improve on just I'm genuinely care about you, and you know, I would take the kids out on their birthday breakfast, and I see my kids doing that with our grandkids. So on their birthday, I'd take them out for breakfast, and I had a little thing I would do. It'd be like just hang out with them, go where they want to go. When the younger ones were little, we had so little money, it was like definitely always going to be a very cheap place. But but during the time, we would talk about them and what they wanted to do the next year and what their goals were and all that. But there would be always a little point and where I would look them in the eye. Let's just say it was my daughter, Hannah. And I would say something like this, Hannah, I love you so much. You bring such a sweetness, a servant. You have such a servant's heart. You bring that into our family. And sometimes I just think my heart's going to burst. Yeah. I really love you, you know, and you're precious to me. And I really think we have this emotional tank in us that needs to be filled up. And we don't do well. It's like a kid that doesn't have... He hasn't eaten his blood sugars down. He's crabby or he hasn't had his nap or whatever. Well, it's emotionally and spiritually, you're like, you're, you're bottomed out. God made us to have our emotional love tank just like filled up. Keep it on, you know. That, and then maybe they will listen to what you believe about your God. Mm. Yeah, it sounds like you pour into your children very intentionally, both you and your wife. And yeah, we love so, doing that. That's cool. Um, switching gears here. Yeah. Let's talk about the Red Jeep Journal. And sure. uh, what do you got going with that? You know, what's interesting is the, the Red Jeep Journey was, um, how can I say this in a delicate way? A dark providence came into our life about a year ago. And a relationship with the church that I was pastoring came to an end in a really sad and unjust way relative to my, my daughters being abused in her marriage. So now I'm unemployed because I'm principled. And I, I'm a pastor, and I'm not sure I'll ever be a pastor again because people are saying bad things about me, hmm. even though I was innocent. So I get in my red Jeep. I got a red Jeep that's got 235,000 miles on it, and I just decide I'm going to go. I tenor preaching at camps. I tell all the people I know, hey, I'm available. And providentially, God fills up my calendar all summer long, even though I don't have a job. I don't have hospitalization insurance. And I'm, you know, I'm 59. My heart is broken. My daughter has to have legal uh, bills that are paid. I, I, I've been, my job's been taken away from me. A severance was promised me that wasn't given to me. And the church actually voted to discipline me when my daughter was abused. And I was abused. And I stuck up for her. That, like, if, you, if you're not quiet about this, we're going to discipline you from the church. I was disciplined from my own church after I wasn't even a member. It's just, it's pretty ugly. But I get in my Jeep, and when I turn the key to the Jeep and I go driving off into the mountains or, or wherever I'm going to preach, I have this unbelievable joy that comes over me. I need some supporters to help me. I don't know how I'm going to make it financially. So I just tell my friends, if you'd like to help me, you can. And I send these travel logs about what's going on when I'm driving my red Jeep to these camps. And about 20 people uh, helped us. And uh, so we made it. And then uh, it, it, we started on the road. Um, a few months later, I got an interview from a church. A few months later, I, got, I spoke at the church. A, another, the next month, I was called to the church. And when I finished all my Red Jeep journeys to these camps and so forth, uh, in September the 10th, um, the church was waiting for me. And we moved to this, to this new church where we've had a really neat experience. But through the summer when I would write, send pictures and stories about what I was doing. Um, I called it the Red Jeep Journal. And it was especially to connect with people that were helping us so that they could pray for us or they could maybe gift us. So we made it uh, through that time. And it's this remarkable series of stories of provision and just craziness and of ministry in the mountains of Kentucky, down into Tennessee, uh, over into the Finger Lakes of New York and Michigan, way up in northern Michigan, so it was like while my heart was broken and my church was kind of really taken away from me and promises that were made to me were broken and my daughter was in a vulnerable position where people were trying to take away her children from her, God gave us what we needed to pay her legal bills, to pay our living expenses, 
down to the dollar. So that was the Red Jeep Journal and the Red Jeep Journey. And now what I'm doing is journals from Bittersweet Farm because in this whole mix, we're driving down a, a country road one day. We were going to need a house in Jackson County. Lois and I had always fantasized about we lived in a little little farmhouse somewhere. We didn't think it would ever really happen. I believe there's going to be a time in the future when heaven and earth come together. There's a new heaven and there's a new earth and that believers will live together all, all throughout eternity there in the eternal state. And I always thought, well, in the eternal state, I'm going to live on a back road somewhere in a, in a farmhouse, and I'm going to listen to birdsong off the back porch. But it wasn't going to be like that. This house was ideal. And I said, Lois, look at this. And she goes, honey, it's an old house, and you're not good at fixing stuff up. We shouldn't even look at it. I go, I think he's already fixed it up. Let's look at it. And he had. And I connected with this owner, and he said, I'm going to save it for you. So when our house sold, this guy pulled his house off the market and waited and then sold it to us. And now we own this beautiful little two-acre farmlet in this gorgeous little house that's all modernized, but it looks old. It's 118 years old, but it's all modernized inside. And we own this, right? We own it. And so, you know, we lay in this bed at night, Lois and I, and God provided everything our daughter needed, everything we needed, gave us this church that's really warm-hearted, good Jesus-following people, you know, uh, and and this beautiful little home in the country that was like it was a it was our it was our dream house. You know, it's modest. It's you know, so that's the so now I do uh, the Bittersweet Farm Journal, and I just write stories about that I see. I'm a storyteller, and when people hear my messages, like my people in the church, they'll come to me and they go, I love your stories. What if you run out of them? I'm like, I'm never going to run out of stories. No. You're going to tell me your stories, and, and uh, there's stories everywhere. Stories are powerful. And uh, so, yeah, that's, so it's, it's really the Red Jeep Journal is really in the past now, and it's still, you can still see it. But now it's the Bittersweet Farm Journal. And yeah, so, we're, you know, we do things to encourage people. Like we do a podcast, a Ken Pierpont Story podcast. We just tell a short story or, or I do little videos or write. And so I got a blog that goes all the way back, started over 20 years ago before they even called it blogging. And so there's literally two or three, two, 2,000, 2,500 kind of inspirational, heartwarming stories free on my website. Um they're just there. And when I do books, they come, they kind of are edited off of that, but you can buy the book or you can just read the website. It's all on there. The book kind of puts it together in a nice little format, but it's all my writing. I just, so that's, that's kind of, that's what I do. Um, I, I've, I've learned in my lifetime that if you ask me to sit on the board, you're not going to listen to what I say. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to be a good athlete. I'm not a highly organized person. I'm spontaneous. I love people. I love words. If you need encouragement, I'll be there for you. If you need organization, I'll find somebody to help you, right? So, yeah. Awesome. Well, how do we find you? KenPierpont.com, right? Yeah, KenPierpont.com. Okay. P-I-E-R-P-O-N-T. Correct. Perfect. Well, Ken, thanks so much for uh, carving out some time and driving up. We really appreciate you uh, and your willingness to share your story, and we appreciate your empathetic and uh, and uh, emotional heart. It's very clear to us um, why you are the way you are. So um, if you have any questions for Ken, uh, you can find him at KenPierpont.com, like he mentioned, uh, or I will post uh, the notes from today's show at www.adventuredeficit.com. Thanks, guys.